This podcast is not suitable for work. If you're under the age of 18, kindly and with all due respect, get the fuck out. I mean it. Go on. Bye-bye. Mm-mm. See you later. This isn't for you. Nope. Mm-mm. America has a strange relationship with sex. We're obsessed with it, but it terrifies us. We censor it because it's constantly being shoved down our throats. But our dirty little secret is we like things shoved down our throats, especially when we're in bondage or we're wearing leather or being slapped around a little bit. And, oh, God. <clears throat> I'm Sunny Megatron. Join Ken Melvoinberg and I as we explore, dissect, and demystify American sex. Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness, American Sex, with Ken Melvoin Berg and Sonny Megatron. Hey Ken, did you know there's a new podcast that's totally in whispers? Yeah, it's called Whispered True Stories, mysteries that are spoken entirely in whisper. It seems... Like it's kind of ASMR mixed with ghost stories around a campfire. Well, American fuckers, if you're intrigued, stick around. Because at the end of this episode, you're going to hear a short sample of Whispered True Stories. Hi, everyone. I'm Ken Melvoinberg. Ken, we don't have to whisper anymore. I know I want to. Why? Why are you whispering? (laughs) Because it's cool. Everyone's doing it. Come on. I'm not whispering. I'm Sunny Megatron, and welcome to what? Episode 68. That's 69 with a thumb in your ass. <laughs> of American Sex Podcast. This week's guest is Mistress Harley. Mistress Harley is a world-famous financial dominatrix and is known as the Tech Dom, the creator of High Tech Domination. She has written over 20 books available on Amazon, has a new hip-hop album, and is taking the world by storm as a BDSM educator and kinky professional. Mistress Harley completely demystifies Findom. You know, it's not the bratty women screaming, give me money, and not doing anything and getting showered with cash. I saw her on the show, The Doctors, on, I don't know if it's NBC, ABC, whatever, but they like went at her and they were complete fucking assholes and I wanted to slap the shit out of them. But what people really rarely hear about financial domination and what media outlets rarely lend a platform to is the realities of financial and data domination. There's lots of care, thought, and skill that goes into it. And it's considered psychological edge play. And in that, even with clients, there is careful, detailed negotiation that goes on before any play happens. And I am totally in awe of Mistress Harley's brain, her ethics, and she's a bit of a geek too, which of course I have a soft spot for. And we get into some hardcore stuff in this interview, like emptying clients' bank accounts, exposing their secret lives to their partners and wives in effort to get them to break up. And one of her clients even went through with medical castration under her guidance. Now, on the surface, all of this sounds like way out of bounds, red, hard limit, nope, nope, nope. But after you hear Mistress Harley explain all of these things, you might just find that you completely and ethically understand her role in each scenario. 
One of the things we bring up a few times in the interview that we want to clarify are the terms SSC and RAC. So SSC stands for Safe, Sane, and Consensual. It is the cornerstone of all BDSM play. But there's some people that have some problems with the term safe, sane, and consensual. Really, what is safe? Waking up in the morning and walking out of my door isn't really safe. Who knows what could happen? And sane, well, there's a lot of gray area with that too. So there's another term that people who especially do a lot of hardcore play have adopted instead called RAC, which stands for Risk Aware Consensual Kink. That means that you know you're doing things that are risky. You know, even though you take all the precautions, there are things that might go wrong, but you are assuming the responsibility for those things, whatever happens, and you're going ahead with play anyway. Now, also during the interview, Mistress Harley tells us about her music. Stick around at the end of this episode, and we're going to play one of her songs. Hey, Sonny, do you know what time it is? It's time for me to press this button and insert the jingle a loyal listener made us. It's big welcome and heartfelt appreciation time to the new members of our Patreon family. I want to give a big welcome and a heartfelt appreciation to the awesome folks that joined our Patreon family this week. So, Philip, thank you so much. We couldn't do this podcast without your support. We thank you for recognizing the importance of authentic, no-bullshit, shame-free conversations about sex. And if you're not an American Sex Podcast Patreon member, we'd love for you to be one. Not only does your membership help support this show, you get lots of awesome perks, too, like bonus stories from our guests, extra episodes, American Sex Podcast stickers, a personal video greeting, random surprises in the mail, and much, much more. A really cool thing we decided to do this month is extend our October sticker promotion into November. So that means any new patron that joins during the month of November, we'll get a handful of American Sex Podcast stickers sent to them in the mail. And one of you won't just get stickers, we'll send you a pleasure product too. Surprise! Also, this past week, I just posted on Patreon a full-length Patreon-only episode with Jiminika Eborn of the Trauma Queen podcast. We talked about so much. Some of the highlights were my major, major problem with the phrase, there's no such thing as too much lube. Totally do not agree. Fight me on it. We gave poly relationship advice. We talked about gaslighting. Oh, we also talked about the largest things we could hide under our boobs. Uh, how to differentiate trash people from the diamonds in the rough when you're dating. Jiminyka also spills some secrets about season two of Trauma Queen. Yeah, we're the first ones to hear it. There is just so, so much. Want to win a WeVibe Discover gift box and other goodies valued at $350 from Babeland Toys and Help Out American Sex Podcast? Fill out our listener survey and you've entered to win. You can find it at bit.ly slash American Sex Survey. That address will be in our show notes for episode 68 at americansexpodcast.com. Winner will be randomly drawn the last week of December. So good luck. Okay. 
So American fuckers, I worked my ass off for all of you last week on something that's amazing. The American Sex Podcast subreddit. Yeah, yeah, we got a subreddit now. So come on over and join us at reddit.com slash r slash American Sex Podcast to talk about all the things we bring up on the show or just to ask your own questions about sex, relationships, kink, identity, sex toys, etc. Whatever your heart desires. We also have a thread up there right now looking for your or input on next week's episode, which is the much-awaited 69 episode all about the Sex Act 69. And from the comments I've gotten so far, y'all feel some kind of strong way about 69. And for the most part, it's actually not great. I look at it, it's kind of like those funny mushrooms, right? A lot of you can't stand them, but those of you who really like them... Wait, wait, to find funny mushrooms? Like the weird, not just the regular mushrooms, not even portobellos, but the ones you don't even know the names for. Not even shiitake okay, mushrooms. Okay, so not but... magic mushrooms. Oh, not those kind of mushrooms. <laughs> no. Just like you go to the grocery store and you're like, what kind of mushroom funny, is that? Funny mushrooms. Oh, yeah, not those kind <laughs> Okay. Join our subreddit and you'll all get high. No, it's not like that By the that way, so Sunny was once at an EDM concert and everybody had t-shirts that said, where's Molly? And she was very concerned Who's about Molly? where this girl yeah. Molly was. Who's Molly? Where is she at? Oh, sorry. I'm a little, a little, you know, like the mom in an after school special. Anyway, I look at 69 as not the funny mushrooms, but the interesting fancy mushrooms in the produce section. How's that? Um, that most of you are like, ooh, gross. But some of you that really like the mushrooms mushrooms really fucking love those mushrooms. So we're going to talk a lot about this next week. Come give us your two cents at r slash American Sex Podcast on Reddit. And by the way, if you're a Patreon member and you join our subreddit, you're going to get special flair. It's so cute. Are you ready, Ken? Almost. By the way, I love 69 and I love mushrooms of all sorts. <laughs> Funny, <laughs> magical or otherwise. <laughs> We should do a 69 mushroom scene, like have mushrooms all around us and be high. No? Not at the same time. Okay. <laughs> Never so mind. It's a hat on a hat. Dear. All right. Hat on a hat. Uh, Without further ado, let's get on to Mistress Harley. On the line. Okay. I'm super excited. As I say, I say I that every, say every time. God damn it. But I really am. Um, we have Mistress Harley, otherwise known as the Tech Dom. Hello. Hello. Oh, oh it's I, so great to have you on the show. It really we, is. We have a million questions. A gazillion, Wonderful. million gazillion questions. Um, you know, uh, you and I have been following each other on Twitter for a while. And it's really funny because like, I've been like, oh, I got to talk to her. I got to talk to her. And the time finally came and I'm like, like jittering in my pants. I'm so excited to talk to you. And, you know, Ken and I being familiar, not only with BDSM, but familiar with the pro BDSM world. When we meet someone who's a financial dominant or a, you know, a data dom, as, as they say, we don't really bat an eyelash. It's not a big deal. And I think we tend to lose sight of the fact that when civilians hear, you're a what? You, what do you, what do you, what? It turns heads, eyebrows go open, you know, the whole thing. So you are a financial dominant and a data dominatrix. Like, what do you, how do you title yourself? Well, I am the tech dom. It's a title I gave myself. Um, and it's because I started probably about four or five years ago. Um, I was in the world of financial domination. And that means dominating people uh, through their my- money or their financial assets. 
And that's where, you know, a partner would get turned on by the act of giving money. And I, of course, am turned on by the act of receiving money. And uh, I was a former high-tech industry employee before I quit that to become an illustrious uh, pro-dom. And I started realizing I could use those high-tech skills to dominate my slaves from afar. You know, there are so many people in places where there's no access to BDSM dungeons, to a healthy kink community, to any of that stuff. But they still have, you know, these desires and these needs. And so how do you dominate someone long distance? Um, Through their devices, through their phone, through their computer. And if you really start to think about how vulnerable your computer and phone are in terms of how much somebody could get to know you, control you, tell you what to do. It's a really profound level of control. Right. Wow. That, I mean, that really is, you can't really give up more control than that. And it's interesting to me because I've seen a stereotype of fin doms and you're, you're not the stereotype, by the way, is that usually it's a baby dom. It's their first year of doming and they're just like, mm. I'm cute. Give me money. Oh yeah. The insta dom. The insta dom. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit about that phenomenon? Sure. Well, financial domination has gotten a lot of press recently, and I'm partially to blame for this. I went on The Doctors on CBS and talked about it. Uh, Engadget profiled me, and I talked all about it. And so I feel like there's a large community of girls who've seen articles about Find Dom and have thought, I can do that. I can go on the Internet and tell guys to give me money. And uh, and it really is kind of an online only. They've never had any experience in like a BDSM dungeon. Personally, I came up through uh, the traditional BDSM dungeon as a recreational player. And so I learned all the etiquette and the rules about consent and safety and, you know, uh, risk aware consensual kink. And so a lot of these girls kind of they read an article about it and they think I can go ask guys for money. Um, but I think that they burn out really fast. Honestly, I- I'm not threatened by anyone who wants to dabble their toe in and see how things feel. I think a lot of them become disheartened when they can't just like earn $10,000 doing nothing. Uh, Being a financial dom is, of course, more about than just taking people's money. It's actually about controlling people. I usually make my subs uh, create a budget for me so I know what their monthly costs are, what their bills that they have to pay are, and then we work out control in that way. Um, you know, but I can't blame those girls. Can you blame anyone for wanting free money? Like, no, so no, yeah. no, no. I don't blame them in <laughs> any way, shape or form, but I do, do give serious eye roll to anybody who leads with, well, in the, and they're obviously very new at this, uh, when, when they say I'm a fin dom, but you're definitely one of the exceptions to that because you are aware of the etiquette of BDSM. You know, the difference between lifestyle and pro dom and you actually, it, you know, and we haven't met, but you actually seem very ethical. Uh, which, I try to be very ethical. Which is so important because, number one, this is something that is real work. Like, what you do is so emotionally mind-numbing that it's <laughs> hard for a lot of doms, I think, to, you know, keep that in mind. And they tend to lose sight of, like, I've got to look out for the, you know, the financial well-being of my submissive because it would be like taking care of the physical well-being if it was a face-to-face interaction. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And when I started in BDSM, I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area. It was probably about 2005, 2006. And uh, I was exploring the scene for my own self, my own personal desires. 
And, uh, and through enough play and I went to enough parties and people started requesting me to play with them. Like I'm actually a really love needle topping. And so that was kind of how I started my pro career was people would see me needle topping, which is something that requires skill and education. I actually took classes with a uh, Fakir before he passed away. Aww. Um, and so I think that those skills were in demand. And so people started, you know, saying, oh, I'll pay you if you if you come with me to a party and, you know, do needle topping with me. And so as as I started to earn a lot of money that way, I thought, oh, I can turn a thing I love into, you know, my profession and my lifestyle. And uh, so that's how I entered this industry. But it was obviously after a lot of thought and a lot of experiences. I used to uh, DM at the Citadel in San Francisco. So, I mean, I've, I've definitely had a lot of experience in the community that wasn't professional. But I think a lot of people also, you know, they just get into this industry for money because it's uh, something you can do from home. It's something that's pretty comfortable. You know, it, it is being independent. And uh, some people just, you know, some people turn a thing they like into work and then it's never fun again. And uh, thank God that's not my situation. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. I know a lot of what you use because, you know, maybe I've dabbled in it myself and I find it very interesting. I, I look at it a lot as like, and a lot of people who are lifestyle are like, we do these like whack ass things like, you know, we play with needles, we play with blood, we do these things that most people would think are completely like, whoa, that's out there, that's off limits. But the edge minute play. you say to one of those lifestylers that are into edge play, you go financial domination. They're like, oh, no, that's, you know, you're just in it for the money. Oh, that's not real kink. And I frame it in in the, I don't know, the, look at it through the lens of extreme psychological edge play would you Absolutely. would you agree with that and how yeah because so i mean the things that we know have power in our society like money sex love, power, like all these things really are absolutely connected. And it's not surprising that we eroticize something as powerful as money. You know, if you've ever lost money, you know, the intense emotional response that that creates in you. If you've ever been robbed of money, that creates a very intense emotional response. And, you know, some fin subs uh, feel great excitement when they feel those feelings of humiliation, of feeling robbed or ripped off or stolen from uh, other subs really eroticize the idea of providing for and taking care of their dominant. And so it triggers a lot of those feelings. But I think something we can all agree on is that everyone has a very powerful emotional response to money. Right. And I think the idea that lifestylers often want to dismiss about financial domination is that somehow the inclusion of money makes the sex act or the BDSM uh, delegitimized. Mm -hmm. And that's just absolutely not fair to anybody. You know, my biggest pet peeve in the kink world is gatekeepers. People who tell you you're not allowed to eroticize something. Right. You're not allowed to enjoy something between consenting adults, obviously. Um, and that's really, it just hits all of my buttons, you know? Because I feel like that's the argument people used against gay people for hundreds of thousands of years. Hey, right. well, you can't enjoy having sex with someone of the same gender. That's not okay. You know, and to me, it's the same if you say, you know, 
you're not allowed to enjoy someone giving you money. You're not allowed to enjoy giving someone money. Oh, really? But that doesn't actually stop the arousal process. Yeah. You know, and people's sexuality is so complicated and so nuanced. The idea that you can somehow control your arousal, it, you know, in terms of what arouses you is kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And we all we all know that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting to me because I just look, you know, looking at it from a, a bigger point of view, you know, how we feel about money, how we feel about sex. It's like us as BDSM practitioners are really comfortable with psychologically dissecting ourselves. Like, here's how we feel about sex. And here are the games we're going to play to, you know, creep into those little nooks and crannies of our brains and feel good. And we know how to do that. Death is another one. And, you know, that's kind of with BDSM or some of us do, you know, if we're edge players, we do dabble in some of that. But it's like sex, death and money are the things that we don't talk about. And I find a lot of BDSMers that are lifestylers, we may have the sex thing covered, we might even have the death thing covered, but don't you Mm -hmm. dare talk about your love for money. That's taboo. And I have something to add to this. Um, So Sonny and I teach an abduction and interrogation class. And the number one, the number one thing that throws people off when we do the interrogation part is that they've psyched themselves. All right, so let's say a submissive comes to us. They want to do the interrogation thing. They're ready for pain. They're ready for torture. What they're not ready for is an offer of money. And we use mm. money as a form of um, carrot and you know stick. And this is obviously the carrot part. Uh, right. You know, they, they just are completely blown away when that part of it is offered so like like literally in a scene we're like all right if you give us like one of the four numbers that we need to get the code from you because we're interrogating you you give us one number we'll give you five hundred dollars just five hundred dollars for one number and they just don't know how to deal with it they lose their shit you can literally see their brains explode and they're they just like i mean they may have been crying in pain they might have bruises everywhere they you know may have gone through all of the emotional things electric and, shock and, and the look on their faces play. they're just like what the fuck what the yes. fuck what, what the fuck like i mean they don't know how to handle that, it that exact phrase yeah 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 <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah. And I love that you, you dabble in, in something. It's kind of like the last taboo that it's a thing we don't talk about. So, like I said, I'm familiar with some of the actual tools that you use and how you go about financially dominating someone. But can you tell our audience, like, what do you do? What programs do you use? How do you get into their computer? How do you find out information to manipulate these clients? Sure. So um, there are several methods, of course. Um, But my favorite is computer control via desktop sharing software. And the most popular one is called TeamViewer. But I'm sure you've heard of a lot of the others like AnyDesk or GoToMyPC, you know, anything that allows remote desktop access. So a submissive would approach me and tell me that they were interested in me controlling their computer. And we discuss limits like, you know, some people don't want their finances dabbled with. Other people really do. Um, And then once they've invited me in, because I'm like a vampire, I have to be invited, uh, <laughs> I start to go through their web history and just look at what are all the websites they use, their bookmarks. I will go in and look at their saved passwords and login information. Sometimes I'll go through their files and find like financial information like tax returns, resumes. You know, just think about all the personal stuff you have on your computer, pictures, the videos they download. I'll go through their pornography. Sometimes I'll make them watch specific types of pornography, if that's something we've talked about. You know, a lot of forced buy people, you make them watch a bunch of gay porn and tease them about it. Yeah. Um, 
What else? Uh, you know, just I can set up key loggers so that I can collect information in the future, like their passwords, things that they type to people. Obviously, with mobile phones, there are a plethora of parental control devices or apps that you can use. Um, I created one for Android that is my own personal app, so I can like text message your mom. Uh, <gasps> I get all of your contacts. I get uh, all of your text messages. I can send messages from your phone as if they are from you. Um, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, wow. There's a lot of power there. And then usually, you know, one thing leads to another, right? So I might start by putting an app on someone's phone and then I take over their computer and then I tell them you have to buy a bunch of nest cams and put them in your house so I can watch you 24 seven. I have many slaves who are on 24 seven observation. I have the nest app on my phone. I can just log in and watch them at any time. I can talk to them through the cameras and tell them like, okay, I want you to get on your knees and start masturbating now. Um, wow. There, there are really any number of ways that you could think about getting technologically screwed over. I can do. Um, and that goes all the way up to, you know, some of my long-term slaves, I have all their bank account login information. I can just take money from their accounts when I please. Um, that of course is negotiated. Um, but yeah, I mean, really everything. And then, you know, I think of technological domination. It's like the whip. It's a tool. So for many people, they eroticize the tool itself. But for me, I'm always interested in the results. So how does this make you feel? How does it make you squirm? How does it make you comply? And then what can I make you do? Mm, Yeah, yeah. Wow. I love your evil laugh. I know. I know. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I just, I, I have, I have so many questions. Um, Please. And I'm, I'm, my mind, my mind went, you go, Ken. Cause I'm just, I'm <laughs> so like, oh my God, this is fucking brilliant that my mind is, my mind is blown. I'm like, what the well, fuck? There's, in a a good couple, way. there's a couple of questions I had right off the bat. First of all, is your app available for anybody to use or is this a private for use only for you app? It's a private use only for me app and subs actually have to uh, go through a process where they request the app and then pay for the app. And then I don't let everybody download it because obviously like monitoring people is a a job in itself and takes time. Right. So I make sure that most of the people I have these kinds of relationships with are not one offs. I do offer one off sessions, which, you know, is has have a clear beginning and end. Right. Uh, but typically, this is more long-term, you know, serious commitment kind of stuff. So, all right. When it comes to consent, mm-hmm. um, there, you know, I'm sure there's a whole lot of nuance here. And generally, when you look at, let's say, lifestyle people versus pro scenarios, you have like a long, lengthy consent process, especially when it comes to anything involving edge play that may be over a series of conversations, a series of days where you're really establishing what your boundaries are and what things you can push and how far and and, and yada, yada. So when it comes to gathering consent from your professional clients, because some people are like, I want you to threaten. I want you to, you know, say you're going to call my wife or say you're going to, you know, post something on my Facebook or, you know, threaten to take stuff out of my bank account. But I don't actually want you to, I want you to stop right at that edge. And then there are other people that are like, no, I legit want you to bankrupt me. Like, I'm not kidding. I don't want you to stop. So how do you negotiate those really fine points of like, hey, this is a role play, don't really do it. And no, I really want you to do this. 
you know, I rely on honest communication. And so I make sure I check in with people kind of over and over and over again. And I make sure before the session begins, I say, okay, are there any, you know, limits you want to talk about? Are you sure you feel comfortable with this? I've had people who, for example, have paid me to um, out them to their partner and basically break up with their partner for them. Um, you know, that kind of goes into this home wrecking fetish area. And, and that's somewhat controversial. Some people feel like you should never involve a non-consenting party. But um, that to me, that's not play. To me, that's actually a service for the partner who doesn't know that their partner is kind of doing all this stuff that they don't approve of and uh, would would trap that person in a relationship. Mm. So, uh, you know, I, everybody has their own kind of ethics and what they feel comfortable with. Um, I, but I make sure if somebody says, I really want you to take all the cash out of my account I say, okay, you know, I will do that, but you have to be sure that that's what you want. And, you know, I don't have a hundred percent insight into a hundred percent of people's lives. So I also sometimes think that, you know, maybe I empty one bank account, but maybe they have some backup bank accounts or, you know, maybe they have me write an email to their partner telling their partner how they've, you know, systematically betrayed them by hiring pro-doms, but that email might actually be to this person, you know, they might have set up a dummy email account, you know, so there's still a lot uh, that the other person has control over, but I also believe very strongly in sexual freedom, and I believe very strongly that if someone really wants to do something, um, and it's, you know, consenting between adults, that you know, you, sh you shouldn't stop them unless it's really injurious or illegal in some way. Um, but I just feel like people are going to want their desires met. And if you don't meet them, somebody else will do it, you know, and they're going to keep looking. They'll keep asking until they find someone to do that. Now, that's a really great segue into my next question, because it's going to be a little controversial. Uh, sure. I know that you've had a couple of different controversies uh, involved in your professional career. First sure. and foremost, as a medical person, I know which one, like when I say the word medical, I think you know where I'm going with this one. Uh, you had a, a client who uh, approached you because he wanted to be castrated. And I have a couple Correct. questions about that. Now, first of all, I know mm -hmm. you took a bunch of shit from other people, even though this guy made a fully informed decision about what he wanted to do and how he wanted to do it. First and foremost, before we get into the ethics, was when he had the castration done, was that a penisectomy and an orchiectomy, or was it just the orchiectomy? It was just the orchiectomy, and he had it done by medical professionals. I was not the person to perform this procedure. Uh, he had it done by doctors. And for him, it was largely part of a gender transition to become an agendered person. He does not identify. Ah, okay. And I'm actually not using the correct verbiage, so let me go back. Yeah, they yeah, no, go ahead. not identify as a male or female person. I apologize. I should have asked first. That's okay. And it's still difficult. You know, we talked about this a little bit. Sometimes just keeping up with those pronouns is hard. But they do not identify as a male or female person. And they had been thinking about having this orchiectomy for about 20 years. This person is in their 50s. And um, they've also been castrated at this point about two years. And uh, they've told me repeatedly over and over that their only regret was that they didn't do this sooner. Because it's a desire that they've had their entire lives. 
Wow. Okay, a couple questions for the non-medical people. Oh, I was just going to say. An, an orchiectomy, I'm, I'm assuming he didn't have one of their whales removed. Um, so that what is an orchiectomy? That, that would be an orca Oh, that's an orca. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, what's an orchiectomy? And, and that's that's another cetacean altogether. I think you were trying to do a dolphin or is a seal. Is an orca a dolphin? No, know. an orca is a whale, sweetheart. I love you. You're beautiful. I have a few blonde highlights. Okay. <laughs> an orchiectomy is the removal of the testicles. Okay. Cool. So when this person first first approached you, were you like, wait a minute? Or, you know, did it in the penisectomy was the removal of the man brain. (laughs) (laughs) Which is no longer there. Now they are a they. And a much superior they. Because all of the the stupid like patriarchy shit is gone literally. (laughs) So hallelujah. Yeah. So what about, what was your process? Uh, were you on board immediately? Like, cool. Or did you no. have like, a, I got to peel back this onion and justify this in my own brain? What was the process like for you? Yeah, the latter, definitely. Um, when they first started talking to me about this desire that they'd had and expressed that they'd had this desire for a very long time, I made them write several essays about it to me as part of like a homework assignment where I said, okay, I want you to explain to me in great detail why this is something that you want to pursue. Um, I also made sure this person lives in Germany. And so I made them go to the psychologist there. You know, they have to go through several steps in order to get the surgery. And so they had to go through a psychological process uh in Germany before they went and got the surgery. And then I actually have for many years have had a psychologist just, you know, sometimes it's good to check in with someone, make sure that you're not crazy. And uh, I spoke with my psychologist about it at length and said, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, this is all part of a, of a relationship that we have. And this is something that helps this person become a better version of themselves and that it's not something that they're going to regret terribly or something that is going to cause them lifelong problems. For example, when you remove testosterone production from men, it can weaken their hearts. So um, I made sure that this person also went through a proper evaluation and, and they continue to go to the doctor and receive evaluations regarding their hormones and regarding their overall health. So I just wanted to make sure it was done in a healthful and positive way. But um, that's not the first person that's approached me about being dominated specifically to achieve something like a gender transition. And I really understand that because I feel like we often hire professionals to assist us in doing the things we want to do, but cannot do by ourselves. So like a personal uh, trainer. Would yeah. Be a or like example. a life coach or a yeah. life coach. Um, I, I really, I hate exercise. So I think a personal trainer is like the person that makes you do a thing you hate to achieve a goal that you want. And, uh, and so that was really my approach with this person. And I have to say, I have no regrets. They have no regrets. They are very happy. Um, they've recently been, um, uh, an, a political activist in Germany for, uh, agendered people and having a third gender option and have come out to their friends and family and have been very well accepted. And, and this person tells me all the time, they are happier and more fulfilled than they've ever been in their lives. And that brings me great satisfaction. Wow. So I have a question, of course, what did they do with the leftovers? They went to Guadalajara to get the the procedure done. So I don't know what they do with the leftovers, but I will tell you that they had a very large silicone testicle replacements implants put in. Oh, nudicles. So that they could, 
Yes, yes, so that they could still engage in chastity. So uh, ah. isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's actually really that cool. And, and for our listeners, this isn't the weirdest sort of request I've ever heard, even personally as a dominant. As a professional dominant myself, I had somebody who approached me once who wanted, and I don't know if I've told you about this, honey, somebody wanted me to run over her with a car. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, and like, kill them. And right? kill them. Yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't just, it wasn't just, like, I want to see what a car feels like. It's, like, run me over, back up over my guts, and go back and forth, like, seven times. I'm like, no, no, this is not something that we do. Yeah. I am there's, occasionally there's... approached by the suicide fetishists as well, and that's something I don't engage in. Yeah, 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 and that, that that is a far cry from what we're talking about today. Um, but I, you know, and I just wanted to to know that, like, I support you, and uh, both of us do. And oh, then, yeah. like what you did was completely ethical, even more so now that we're hearing a little bit more of the story. And you know what I think? I watched your segment on the doctors, and I'm telling you, I wanted to jump through my TV and like non consensually slap them all. <laughs> I mean, you know. TV, I understand TV, you know, and they want to sensationalize. They want to make it like you're some weirdo freak that does this unethical stuff because that's what gets people talking and that's what gets people watching. But it's like when they when people listen to this conversation we're having right now, it demystifies all of that. Like, oh, my God, what a weirdo. It's like, Oh my God, that totally makes sense. And not only does it make sense, like that whole orchiectomy story was heartwarming and I got a little tear in my eye, you know, Aww. which, but I mean, which is great, but it doesn't make for good TV. So well, that, that in, in general practitioners don't get a lot of sex education. I can assure you that Mistress Harley has way more, you know, like far, far more hours of sex ed than any physician that's just a general practitioner not involved in the BDSM or sex world. So. Right. But as I tell everyone, I am not a doctor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> never, never come to me for medical advice. I am not a doctor. <laughs> so we talked a lot about what your clients get out of this, but I want to know what you get out of this. It's it's obvious that this takes a lot of work. It's not as simple as like, you know, a guy messages me and I'm like, fuck you, you bitch, give me $10,000. And then I sit and eat bonbons all day. Like, it's not that easy. Okay, we know that. Occasionally, occasionally it's like that. Definitely not the norm. For sure. I think Sonny just got erect. I know. I was like, (laughs) my nipples are like, ring. Um, So you spend a lot of time doing this. It is work in one sense Mm -hmm. i would assume that there you know you said you like doing this it's something that you enjoy but what kind of enjoyment do you get out of it is it a sexual enjoyment is it a power thing like what is it that makes you kind of tingle inside when you do this i mean god it's all the enjoyments except for maybe food um (laughs) you know i unless they buy you a restaurant or something yes yes (laughs) Um, no, I'm definitely, I'm a power fetishist. And so for me, when I have that feeling of really being in control of another person, uh, whether that's through their bank account or through, you know, just making them do something that they wouldn't normally do, that's what gets me really excited. And it is sexual. It is, uh, it's that kind of sweaty, nervous excitement of like, oh, I'm doing something that most people don't get to do, or most people wouldn't be allowed to do. 
Uh, I'm also a raging feminist, and I spent many, many years um, being harassed by men. You know, just your regular street harassment, Mm -hmm. you know, being hit on when you don't want to be hit on, and feeling, you know, constantly violated by the male gaze. And so for me, being a dominatrix is about controlling that male gaze and then being allowed to kind of punish or reward or do whatever I want with that, which is something you're really not allowed to do in our regular society. You know, I, I think I felt very powerless before I was a pro dom when I was having to answer to somebody else professionally, when my life was not my own to dictate, when men would constantly interact with me and I would have no recourse uh, when I felt uncomfortable. And so for me, it's very much about controlling these interactions and controlling my interactions with men and making men do what I want. And I find that really, really empowering. Yeah, I, I think for me, and you know, I've only dabbled in this more in a lifestyle sense, like a touch in the in the pro sense for a second. Um, but for me, it's the, I don't know, controlling the or putting a, a monetary value on the emotional labor that I give to a man. Oh, that's that's definitely in there for sure. Yeah, yeah. that's what gets my nipples like, bing! like <laughs> I'm getting paid. I'm getting fairly compensated for the stuff that I've been, you know, ripped off for my entire life and yes. not compensated at all. To me, that's like, it's just such a sense of power. And I don't know, turning the table sort of it's it's therapeutic, I guess, in a way. Absolutely. I, I often tell people who criticize me for making pornography that men have spent my whole life sexualizing me and jerking off to me without my consent and without me making a single cent off of that. And so if that's a thing that's going to occur, I may as well monetize from it, profit from it and live my best life. A fucking men. Oh, my God. Yes. Or a fucking woman. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I'm going to cut to the chase. Everybody's thinking right now, all right, come on, how much money you make? Like, is are you like having money fights every day? Do you <laughs> sleep on a bed of $100 bill bricks? Like, what are we talking? Is this really as lucrative as it seems to be? Yes, it is. Um, just actually a few days ago, someone paid me $15,000 for a five email exchange Um, you know, again, that's not every day, but when you are out there and you're available and you, you know, make it known that you engage in this kind of activity, people find you. Um, most of the time I make, you know, around one to two grand a day. Uh, that's my kind of like average. Um, but I've also been in this industry for several years. I don't just do one kind of play. I do many kinds of play. And then, of course, I also create products like videos. Um, I have a hip-hop album about financial domination that I just released like two days ago. What? Um, Are you serious? Yes, absolutely. Serious. Okay, I have, a, I have a question. Can we play one? You can absolutely play one. And oh my God. if you go okay. to uh, my website for music is techdomhiphop.com. I, I don't that know if you can awesome. play the whole song on the website. You might just be able to play a clip, but I'd be happy to send you guys an MP3 to play. I would uh, love like that. One, 
Yeah, one is called Financial Domination. One is called the Ten Pimpstress Commandments because <gasps> I, th- I, I felt think that's that, a winner right there. Yeah, I just felt that men have been profiting off of making music about exploiting women, pimps and hoes, and all their crimes for you know as long as hip hop has been around. And I have the real life experiences of doing all these things. So I just thought if a man can become rich and famous, you know, talking about how he exploits women, then I should be able to become rich and famous talking about how I exploit men. So. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's amazing. Hey, psst, did you know American Sex Podcast has a Patreon page? Becoming a Patreon member is a great way to show your support for this podcast. It works kind of like, I don't know, funding for National Public Radio or how PBS works. If you appreciate our work, and the fact that we provide it to the world free of charge, then you can help support it. And as a member of our Patreon family, you'll be eligible for nifty, cool rewards like bonus episodes, surprises in the mail, and more. Oh, and you'll get all of our episodes early, bonus stories from guests, and access to our private Patreon feed. So you thinking about it? You want to know more? Check out all the details at patreon.com slash American Sex. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash American Sex. You're involved in some pretty heavy duty stuff. You know, it's like you go in, you go on in Team Viewer, you take over somebody's computer, you do all this stuff, you have access to their bank accounts. How do you protect yourself? Like, what if a a completely consenting and willing client is like, yeah, go in and rinse my bank account and do all this and has a moment of regret later? Maybe the moment of regret is when his wife finds out and he goes, oh, it wasn't me. She made me. How do you protect yourself? Yeah. Almost all of my communications are documented in writing. Um, and so, you know, all of the requests I get are via email. Even if someone calls me and asks me for something, they still have to submit that request through a written uh, documentation system. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, specifically at the request of my lawyer, because I discussed this with him. You know, a lot of these edge plays sometimes take the guise of things that are not legal. Like a blackmail fetish is a really great example where guys want you to use their information to blackmail and extort them. But then, you know, in the eyes of the law, that's an illegal act. So after discussing that with my lawyer, he said, look, you know, if you can just document that this was all consensual and this person invited you to do this, then no court in the world is going to hold you liable for, you know, doing something you were actually paid to do. Like you're just fulfilling a request. Um, You know, I try to make sure that people have good experiences with me and don't have regrets. I feel that, you know, with any kind of BDSM play, with any kind of sex at all, really, you're uh, you're at risk for regretting it later. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just do my best to make sure that people that approach me want what they say they want, that they know the repercussions of what they say they want. And that limits are discussed. And, you know, if they feel bad about it later, I've done my due diligence. Yeah, because if it went wrong, it would be like a a really bad Black Mirror episode. It would be just like absolutely awful if somebody, especially if it was faked over the internet, if you had somebody that was pretending to do something that they want and like was perhaps getting revenge on somebody by supplying you with the financial information. Oh, like, sure. But that would be very difficult, it honestly. It would be incredibly because- difficult. 
I, once they pay me, I get some information from that. So I can tell, for example, if someone pays with a credit card that isn't theirs. I can tell, for example, if someone has uh, given me TeamViewer access to a computer that is not theirs. It's pretty obvious, you know, just looking at files, looking at people's login names. Um, so I, I don't find myself often in that position. And actually, I, I don't think I ever have found myself in that position. There have been a couple of times where someone used some Someone else's credit card, and I was like, uh, "No, that's not your name." <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Have you ever had a uh, weird like? I, I know that a couple of doms that I've worked with, even recently, have been given incredibly valuable objects to destroy on video for the person sending it to them. So, for example, yes. there was like oh, like uh, stamp albums, a train set that was going on, like an antique train set that where the Dom had to go in like Godzilla and smash the little trains. Yes, uh, yes. I've sort. done, um, people have sent me like their uh, engagement rings, their wedding rings to flush down the toilet or to destroy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, I'm trying to think of any other objects. Occasionally, somebody will send me a video like one sub he sent me this video of him like pleading and begging for me to do something and you know I'm a big nerd and I saw that he had this collectible joker statue in the background and I was like well I'm only going to do that but you have to send me that joker statue like I want that and so he did he packaged it up and sent it to me I didn't destroy it I actually just have it on my bookshelf but uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's funny and, and I actually was going to ask about the name Mistress Harley because now, yes. now, now that you've opened the D, the DC door, because I'm a huge DC fan, I'm a, I'm I'm the geek that other geeks pick on because I'm an Aquaman guy. Oh, but now Jason Momoa is Aquaman. So oh I my god! Pick Bro, on you for that. Bro, know, yeah, god. right. Bro, Zayden is hot. <laughs> <laughs> so, so was the name originated from Harley Quinn? Yeah, it was it was a definitely a reference at the time. Um, my favorite animated series as a kid was the Batman animated series on the oh, WB. Love it. And I always was in love with the original Harley Quinn um, and, and her love of Miss the J. So uh, when I got started, I definitely was, was doing a little nod. That was my nom de plume for sure. That's all. And for those of you that don't know, the uh, the person that did the voice of the Joker for that series was Mark Hamill. Really? And yeah, did he a, also do the voice of Batman for that series? I no, feel like Kevin. I think it was Kevin Conroy did the voice uh, of Batman. Uh-huh. You know what I find hilarious is like, especially the more hardcore the guest we talk to, the geekier we get at some point in our conversation. <laughs> there definitely is a kink geek correlation. It's oh, really yeah, true. Yeah. Margaret Cho said it best that there's like a Venn diagram between like leather sex, Star Trek and Renaissance Fair. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. That's <laughs> And, and I think totally I think Klingons are right. Like Klingon, like cosplay sex is right in the middle of that. Yeah, absolutely. Don't even get me started with Star Trek, you guys. We, we won't talk about <laughs> sex at all. Like, it'll be over. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right. So speaking. Okay, we're talking about the the um, the kinky archetypes in in terms. Of, I guess we're all dominance here. So the dominant kinky archetypes. What are some of the submissive client archetypes like is it all like they want to be humiliated and told they're worthless like what types of clients what buckets do they fall into 
Ooh, that's a really interesting question. I feel like everything leads back to cock. And so, um, like, a lot of straight guys want to have bisexual experiences or gay experiences. A lot of guys want to be feminized and, you know, uh, sissified. A lot of guys simply want to be useful to a dominant woman or be part of her life in some way. Uh, A lot of them have such tiny, tiny penises that they're not even capable of what we would define sex. Um, A lot of them are self-described losers, you know, people who don't have real relationships, romantic relationships with women. You know, they're not married. They've never had a girlfriend, um, but they really seek some kind of sexual relationship. Um, And I think some of them are honestly like, antisocial to the point where they don't really have the capability to have relationships with people unless they are professionally defined. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally it does, makes sense. Especially more and more and more as tech is directly involved in an almost a parasitic fashion in our lives. We're Absolutely. so dependent. Like the recent meme about like not having cell phones around. Right. I've seen that one. It makes me think of the 90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a theory, and I, I want you to tell me what you think of this. From my experience, and my experience is like a fraction of your experience, um, but I have a theory that most straight cis men that I play with that are submissive are in some way trying to work out like the trappings that like toxic masculinity from society has put on them, whether Ooh, it's yes. like, I'm not man enough, maybe, you know, it could be like, I'm not man enough, I'm y- y- be humiliated, or it could be like, I'm only good for one thing. And that's providing for a woman. So that's going to be my, you know, my role, and I'm going to uh, magnify that. And that's the only thing I'm good for. Do you see any correlation? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I do see a big correlation there. I think it's a combination of processing that toxic masculinity, especially when you don't meet those standards. When you weren't the quarterback, you don't have a big dick, you don't get pussy all the time. You know, how do you cope with these expectations that society has placed on you that always tell you you're inferior? Um, And then I think it's also a combination of that plus trying to recreate early humiliating sexual experiences. Mm. You know, many people, uh, their their sexuality is kind of defined or set by some of those early sexual experiences. And so especially when it comes to like the tech humiliation side, one of the reasons I think some guys really like having uh, parental filters put on their computer so they can't look at porn, you know, they're recreating those early sexual experiences of having to get around the, the fire walls at the library or Uh, that their mom put there um, because they're not supposed to look at these things or have these desires. And so I definitely agree with you that there's some processing there of these like expectations of masculinity. And then I would dovetail that with this other part of these like trying to recreate humiliating sexual experiences. I just totally get off on like the psychology behind everything. I'm like, oh, Ooh, me too. Yes, me too. yes. Uh, what What do you think? I mean, you you are a man, and you have been. I'm, I'm completely in agreement with both of you, but I'm actually going through my own personal experiences right now, wondering why I'm not having a dom throw a blanket over my head while I'm masturbating and hitting me in the cock with a flashlight because that's ah! one of the because like my remember I yeah. told you that story. My mom accidentally came and she thought I was reading a book. 
And she's like, you put that book down. And I was whacking off under the covers oh, in my bedroom because no. I had a flashlight on. And she thought I was like being a science geek. And instead I was masturbating. She hit me right in the dick <laughs> like <laughs> completely on accident. And I'm wow. surprised that that hasn't happened. Or that like my one of my very first sexual experiences was uh, I was in an area surrounded by graveyards. There was five graveyards around our, my house. Like my first sexual experiences five. were either in a swimming pool or in a graveyard Ooh. or a swimming pool in a graveyard we're getting poltergeist now i know like, right what, what's what do you mean a swimming pool in, there was a swimming pool in a graveyard no not a graveyard in a swimming pool that's that sounds like a great porno i, would I, I know right porno. no the 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 graveyard mansion uh like the, there was a house in the center of the graveyard oh, okay. actually had a swimming pool in it you know there was like high walls because i don't think they wanted people to see them having fun or anything in the middle of the graveyard but that, yes they actually did have a swimming pool there and we would break into it and go swimming and now i wonder like the the kids that were raised by the mortician's family like the, especially the boys what kind of fetishes they grew up with jeffrey dahmer no <laughs> how do we get Again? here how do we get here okay <laughs> Look, you guys, I don't eat people. I don't. That's not what I do. <laughs> okay, so speaking of eating people. Reference. Yeah, oh, I, love I know, her. I know. <laughs> We're loving you more and more. So, yeah, speaking of eating people, which we can say totally with a straight face in any conversation, um, what are some of your hard limits? Uh, eating people. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I, you know, death, dismemberment, uh, hospitalization level injury. Um, anything involving children, you know, uh, otherwise I honestly don't have a lot of limits. I believe again in like total sexual and intellectual freedom. So I kind of feel that no fantasy is off limits. I mm -hmm. feel like anything that you can imagine, if you want to role play that with another grown person, uh, then that's completely within your rights. And, you know, there's some stuff that I engage in that's like not my favorite, but I just support intellectually. And I'm like, okay, well, uh, for example, I'm a Jewish person, and uh, one of the things that I do is race play, including like Nazi Jew race play. And uh, many people find that to be extremely triggering and extremely taboo and an extremely hard limit. And for me, I just feel like, no, you have this sexual fantasy. As long as you're doing it with somebody else consenting, there's nothing wrong with that. So I've even like dressed up as a Nazi, which to some people would be like really, really terrible. But for me, is sexually liberating. Like there's no taboo that is, there's nothing sacred. And uh, that's very much my approach. You know, as a fellow Jew, I can agree that it is a little hot. Like yeah. it, it, it is, is. right? <laughs> it is. And there's, there's, there, you know what though, the part of it is that I think we're, you know, first of all, there is no comedy without Jews and we need to process a lot of shit that happened to us through the years. But I'm, I'm actually going to throw you under the bus here and I'm going to ask you a really tough question. So Do it. based on your criteria, would you play with somebody who had Down syndrome? That, that was, no, really... uh, granted that they were like, say, a 40 year old adult. They had thought very much what they wanted to do. They had a specific scenario that they wanted to discuss with you. What, what would you do if that was the case? Yeah, I feel like I would. I feel like it would be honestly discriminatory not to, um, to reject somebody from their sexual fulfillment because they had a disability. As long as that person was able to communicate clearly with me about their desires and what they wanted. You know, if you can't communicate with someone that it doesn't matter if they have Down syndrome or they speak another language. Oh, absolutely. Like you, you know, you can't be sure uh, what's going on. And if you can't be sure, you can't be in control. But if 
if they were able to communicate their desires to me really clearly and we were able to talk about things like limits and what they wanted, you know, that person is as entitled to their sexuality as anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. I and I completely agree with that. I think that that's you know as long as there's the intellectual capacity to understand what you're getting into, that's like first and foremost what I was talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And it's I have this funny uh, double edged sword as a business person, right? Because I believe that there are certain laws that apply to businesses that also apply to me, which means not discriminating against protected groups of people. And uh, I know other dominants don't exactly feel that way. They feel like your personal limits or your personal. Limits limits and nothing, you should never negotiate that or change that. But I feel like there's an ethical responsibility that I have as someone who makes themselves available for this kind of play that I honestly try to take all comers. And I really feel that that is an issue of intellectual and sexual freedom. And I don't, I, what would make me feel bad is turning away somebody who legitimately wanted to just have their fantasies experienced and then they end up with someone who doesn't have ethical standards someone who doesn't know what they're doing one of the instadoms you brought up earlier and then they actually experience a negative experience and for me i love bdsm because i've actually only ever had positive experiences i really haven't had very many negative experiences at all and that's because of the people i've chosen to play with and you know the way i know myself and the way i know my clients and uh, and I just really think that everyone should be able to fulfill their fantasies as long as they're, you know, risk aware, consensual kink. Oh, wow. See, this is why I'm like, you're totally fucking cool. I might love you now. Um, Aww, so, I love you too. Aww. Aww. so, all right. It's obvious that you are not only incredibly skilled and knowledgeable about what you're doing, that you're very thoughtful, you're very ethical, etc. But as you just brought up a minute ago, those Instadoms, you know, that come on, they get a Twitter account, they make a video going, fuck you, pay me, I'm gonna show you my tits, daddy, I'm a fin dom. And I'm like, that makes no sense. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> So what advice do you give to clients that are looking for an ethical financial dominant, what should they do? How should they screen? Where should they go? Obviously, they should go to you. But um, <laughs> let's say you're so booked up with clients, you don't have time. What are some good benchmarks they should follow to find someone they can trust? Absolutely. You know, I would just look for someone that has been around for a while, because typically the girls that, you know, just kind of get started or who are just dabbling, they don't have like a big presence. Like they may not have a website. They may not have multiple forms of payment. Uh, I would say big red flag is someone that takes PayPal or any sex work unfriendly payment provider. Mm -hmm. Um, That's usually the sign of someone that doesn't know their business. Um, You know, I I really think that it's pretty clear to see who's established and real and who's not. And most pro doms that are established and real, they have submissives talking about how long they've served them and how great they are. They usually have a whole suite of products and ways to get in touch with them, not just because they're savvy business people, but because if you've been in this industry a while, you create content, you know, and so you should be able, just like a detective, you should be able to see the evidence of them being a professional 
national dominant. But if they only have a Twitter account or an Instagram account, and those pictures look like a model, like she's just so hot. You know, you can also do a reverse image search on Google where you dump a picture in and see where it shows up. If a picture looks suspicious, you know, dump it into reverse image search. And if that's a professional model, then that's probably somebody catfishing. Um, you know, there are a lot of ways to see if somebody's legitimate and ask other submissives. You know, if you see subs who are obviously in the lifestyle and have been playing for a long time, ask them who they think is good. Ask them who they think is crap, you know, um, ask them for references. Uh, and it's okay to ask a professional dominant for references also, mm -hmm. um, to say, Hey, I'm really interested in playing with you, but is, do you have a sub I could talk to about, you know, what you do and to see how they enjoyed their experience, you know, there are just so many ways. And I just think if, if someone only exists in one place on the internet, that's a big red flag. Yeah. Okay. So on the flip side, then, for those listening who are like, hey, I might want to become a financial dominant. First of all, I think it's clear from our conversation that it takes years of learning and knowledge and, you know, all of that stuff. It's not a, you know, flash in the, is it flash in the pants or flash in the pan? I always <laughs> fuck up my thing. It's flash in the pants. Okay. Right. Pan? Yeah. Pan. Yes. Okay, flash in the pants. Uh, or I, I, I think it's, it's also sure, not a flash in the pants. Old, it's an old photography reference. Ah, okay. So it's, you know, something that takes a lot of time and dedication and learning and self-education to get into, which we know. But how do prospective or new financial dominance learn? What advice would you give to them just starting out? I mean, do all your homework, do all the Googles, read all the articles about financial domination, and then go find a real BDSM dungeon that is in your area or in the closest metropolitan area and sign up for some classes, learn how to wield a whip. I know, I know you just want the money, but that's not the point. The point is, is that you have to learn the tools of the trade and kind of the, the culture that you're entering in. Be BDSM is a subculture. You know, we have protocols. We have um, we have all kinds of standards for what's safe and ethical. You know, some people are into the safe, sane, and consensual. Other people are into the risk-aware, consensual kink play. But you need to know all these words, and you need to know how to negotiate limits. You need to know how to talk to your subs about what they're really trying to get out of this experience. And you need to know how to engage in that dynamic without being harmful to somebody. And in my opinion, there's no better place to learn that than your local BDSM dungeon. Okay, last question. Who is the most superior Star Trek captain? Obviously, it is uh, Captain Janeway. Uh, Captain Picard <laughs> is still my like personal favorite. I can watch TNG all day long. But let me tell you about Janeway. Janeway gets her people, not only does she get them back from a completely untenable position, she says, Fuck the Prime Directive. Fuck the Time Cops. I'm so badass. I'm not satisfied with this outcome. I'm going to change the time stream. And she does it. And she does it successfully. And she's a freaking admiral. So Janeway for life. <laughs> nice. I love it. Okay, seriously, I was not kidding. I think I love you. This has been a great conversation. And I also think for the people listening who, you know, are more in the civilian realm who have no clue what financial domination is and think it's just these like bitchy women taking advantage of poor men, like they actually understand what it is. And I think you have 
described everything in a way where people can really relate to it and say, oh, my God, I totally get that. That's not weird. That's not, I don't know, taking advantage of people. So thank you for that. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. I just want people to, you know, be accepting of other people's fetishes. You know, Fifty Shades of Grey has gotten so popular. We all get that sometimes people might like a little spanking or something. You know, I just want people's minds to be open about all the things everyone could enjoy. Oh, yay. So we're going to have all of your links in our show notes at americansexpodcast.com. But before we go, is there anything I know we're going to we're going to get the link to your your uh, music um, and have your website. Oh, and Sonny, I want to add one thing. Let's let's have a link to the fakir because uh, he just passed not too long ago. And he is such he is such a fundamental person in the history of everything from body modification to BDSM, that if you don't know who this person is, you need to know who he is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And his um, former partner, Cleo Dubois, is yes. still very active in the yes. scene. And she's like a wonderful, warm, dominant lady. And, uh, you know, he was just, he was a cornerstone of both body piercing, body mod, and fetishism in the San Francisco Bay Area, you know, and uh, and he will be missed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, well, we'll put that in there. Is there anything else you want us to know before we uh, take off? No, just that I am big fans of you guys and have been big fans of your podcast. And so I really appreciate having the opportunity to come chat with you because it's been really, really a pleasure. Oh, oh we appreciate so it, too. And this is I hope we, we stay connected. I hope there's going to be more. So um, until next time, American fuckers, have fun. And this will give your brain a lot to chew on throughout the next week. And then next week, we're going to be talking all about 69. It's our 69th 69th episode. episode. So uh, we'll talk to y'all later. Bye. Bye. Hey, wait, wait, wait. American fuckers, don't go away. Remember, before we roll the closing credits, we're going to play you one of Mistress Harley's tracks called Financial Domination. And then after that, we're going to give you a preview of the new podcast called Whispered. True stories. Enjoy. It started out so innocently, checking out my pics just to see how hot is this Mistress Harley. Before you know it, you're addicted to me. You're addicted and you can't stop. Give me all your cash so I can shop. I'm your number one. Fantasy prop, spoiling me cause you want me non-stop I get mean, I get the green, or you're just a cog in my machine You have to pay for attention, supply and demand's not a new invention Now you're a slave in my possession, your money is mine, it's not even a question Rihanna can sing about whips and chains, but financial domination is the real power game I'll take your cash, rob you blind, you'll thank me for it and tell me I'm kind
for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag PsyChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.